Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progression Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so we have another question. Uh, this one, we are going to talk about PCOS, um, but it's a combination of PCOS and progesterone. Uh, this question is from Sarah. Uh, Dr. Davidson, why don't you go ahead and read it? Sure, sure. So Sarah sent us an email about a blog post that we had written talking about the difference between creams and oral capsules for bioidentical progesterone replacement. So Sarah's asking, or actually saying, thank you. Thank you for writing your post, weighing the differences between creams and oral capsules. That would be for the progesterone. What dosing would be typical for a premenopausal woman with PCOS and amenorrhea? having one to two menstrual cycles per year, who is seeking to regulate cycles. Okay, so this is a, a fairly common situation that we deal with on a regular basis, both with the progesterone, the uh, the capsule versus cream comes up a lot. Uh, permetrium versus progesterone comes up a lot. Uh, we'll, I know we've talked about permetrium on the past. Uh, permetrium always comes in a capsule. That's what you get from a big box pharmacy. Uh, that post that you wrote, or actually it was a blog post, um, uh, the creams versus capsules is pertaining specifically to bioidentical progesterone. Uh, which one's better? Everyone has a different opinion. Most of the time, you and I prefer to use progest bioidentical progesterone oral capsules. And well, not all the time, but it kind of depends on what the situation is. You know, we use creams a lot as well, but I tend to use more of the capsules with um, women that are maybe more perimenopause or a little bit older, where sometimes I'll use the creams with younger women or maybe even teenagers trying to, you know, work on those that hormone balancing. But what's interesting here with uh, Sarah is she's um, talking about PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, with amenorrhea, meaning uh, missing periods. So in a perfect world, you know, a, a you know a, a premenopausal female will have a period every 28 days. So once a month, you know, we get a period. But with PCOS, that can create a lack of ovulation and what she's referring to here, which is amenorrhea, meaning mi no periods. So she might be having one period a year. It looks like maybe even two periods a year. Yeah, right. With, And I know we did a post a while back. I know you um, did some writing about uh, the different types of PCOS, right? We don't think of PCOS as just being, you know, you have it or you don't, or it's a black and white diagnosis. And we believe that there's a spectrum to it. Um, and you kind of name some of those types, uh, classic, uh, classic is just that it follows the, you know, the textbook diagnosis of PCOS, the common type, which is, uh, maybe has some of the characteristics of a full blown diagnosis, but you know, maybe not as many of them, but it's still the most prevalent, uh, form of PCOS. And then there's the, uh, the concealed type, which is not necessarily exactly PCOS, um, but they have some of the tendencies of PCOS. You can go back and look at that. I'm not sure exactly right now uh, off the top of my head what number, uh, what episode that is, but it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. So PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you think, well, the ovaries much, must have a bunch of cysts all over them. But honestly, 
really in PCOS, not all women have cysts on their ovaries, but they do have a collection of an imbalance between their hormones, between the androgens, which would be the DHEA, the testosterone, and then their reproductive hormones, which would be that estrogen and that progesterone. And then you'll see manifestations that go to the adrenal hormones and also all really very highly likely um, also exacerbating the thyroid hormones or a thyroid condition. So, but looking, you know, with, um, with Sarah, it is common with PCOS to miss a period here and there. Like when someone says, Hey, I haven't had a period for four months and they're not pregnant. You, you, and, and they're not menopausal. You start to think, okay, there's some kind of hormone imbalance, possibly some form of PCOS. Cause PCOS, like Dr. Mackey was talking about is really an umbrella where we kind of characteristic, we have these different characteristics where we kind of grouped it into three different profiles, which, um, like you said, we have another podcast and also I think have some blogs on that too. But what in, in that, in those blogs and podcasts, we do refer to using progesterone with PCOS because one of probably one of the hallmarks in all classic common and concealed PCOS is low progesterone. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, PCOS um, as a diagnosis, especially the uh, the classic or the common, there and even in the concealed, they might have an increase to their androgens. So the DHA and testosterone um, have to be you know have to be evaluated, uh, and I'm sure that has already been tested because she's you know she's asking about. Um, you know, progesterone in the use uh, with someone that has PCOS. So I'd imagine that she's at least gone to that level. Um, you know, we don't know what those numbers are. She didn't tell us what her PCOS or what her DHA or testosterone is. Um, but I would assume that either one or both of those is elevated. Just to interject, if you're hearing some kind of odd, like whining and moaning sounds, <laughs> our our dog, our dog Bob is chewing on his elk. I think it's his elk antler or his deer antler bone. And this is our first Aussie or Australian shepherd. And I don't know if they all do this, but he talks all the time. But it's not like barking; it's like moaning and whining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's chewing on an, he's chewing on a deer antler, so I don't blame him. You know, that so sounds like pretty much fun. If you hear some whining in the background, it's the dog, and he's very, very happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's like our little podcast sidekick. So every time we come in uh, to our little uh, home studio that we have set up, he is immediately on the rug at our feet. He gets a little bit, you know, a little bit. Uh, 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 short attention span. The bone helps a little bit, but then the bone kind of gets them all riled up. So uh, I don't know if you heard that or not, but he was kind of growling at the bone here just a second ago. So sorry to be distracting with that, but yes, um, back back to Sarah, the progesterone, and, and it looks like she's specifically, you know, asking a little bit between the creams and the capsules, and definitely with the PCOS, we pretty much most of the time use capsules for the PCOS to try to get that cycle regulated. Yeah, right. And now, um, dosing-wise, for a woman that is uh, menstruating, right, that's where the dosing does differ a little bit because too much can shut the period off. Uh, uh, the right amount could, you know, which is why she's asking, the right amount could initiate, um, you know, or help get her period started because, like you said, low progesterone is kind of a hallmark of PCOS. Um, uh, so, when you don't have the period there, you don't have that landmark to kind of, you know, because the, the period, what what happens with the period over time when someone implements progesterone, when a woman starts taking progesterone, 
the changes to the period help you dictate what the right dose is, uh, if that makes any sense. Like I said, progesterone is one of those things for a woman that can make a woman start bleeding or stop bleeding depending on the depending on the woman and depending on the dosage. Uh, so the fact that there's no period there now, granted, if she starts getting a period in a you know few months after start taking it, then we know we're on the right track. Um, but uh, figuring that part out in, in the beginning might be a little bit challenging. Yeah. So just, you know, not that we want to make it, you know, this answer super complicated, but we'd look at, you know, a typical hormone profile. So we'd look at some of her, you know, the estrogen, the progesterone, excuse me, I would definitely look at her thyroid function and specifically the androgen. So we look to see, Hey, is that testosterone high? Is the DHEA high? And if it is, there's one, we want to work on ways to try to bring those androgens down. And there's, there's, there's medications to do that. There's supplements to do that. There's lifestyle to do that. There's nutrition to do that. So we'd want to look at possibly bringing down those androgens, but by adding in progesterone, it would buffer the testosterone and the DHEA because in PCOS, the testosterone specifically is like the leader of the hormonal chain. You know, it's higher, so it's going to be, you know, the leader of the pack. It's going to, you know, you're going to see more of those symptoms of the higher androgen um, levels where sometimes just adding in that progesterone buffers those levels, and then you see that period, and then you also see also some of the other symptoms that you might be seeing possibly with Sarah, you know, start to eliminate. Yeah, right. Uh, now, if there's even some, uh, you know, some sleeping issues, certainly that would be something to take into consideration because oral progesterone is going to definitely help with sleep. Uh, uh, if there is any mood related issues, irritability, frustration, you know, things like that, that's more on the mental, emotional plane, progesterone is also helpful with that. Uh, so it's more than just getting the cycle to return. It's, uh, it's some of those other things that can definitely show up in PCOS uh, that you know, progesterone is going to help with, which will also help determine the dosing. Uh, I mean, just as a number, I would say somewhere between 50 to 100 milligrams. Uh, we'd probably start at 50 and then maybe uh, increase it to 100. Yeah, usually what I find um, in patients that come to see me that have PCOS and they have higher levels of androgens and they're only getting maybe a period once every four months or once every six months is... We usually start anywhere between 75 milligrams of progesterone, oral capsule at night, but it usually ends up being right around 100 seems to be the most common dose, and that does bring those periods back, you know, if you can buffer some of the androgens, and then like I said, you know, we want to, we don't want to just, you know, one catch, you know, one thing fits it all, it's not just the progesterone, we might look at it more, you know, looking at, like I said, this other supplementation, lifestyle, nutrition, but definitely, like you're saying, between 50 to 100 milligrams with 100 probably being the most common. Yeah, yeah. And we use 100 milligrams for a lot of different things, uh, especially for a woman that's in perimenopause or actually in mer- uh, menopause. 100 milligrams is going to be the place to start. And then you put that in motion for a month or two or a few cycles, maybe two to three cycles. Um, to see what happens if she is still menstruating or not. If she's not, then it doesn't matter. Then it's more if she's actually getting sleep relief, if her hot flashes are in control, and if she has her uterus, if she's not bleeding, right? Because the story changes a little bit once they go from perimenopause into menopause because the progesterone oral capsules is in some ways intended to inhibit the growth of uterine lining. So um, we're actually trying to stop the bleeding at that point where in this case we're trying to initiate, but the dosing might be exactly the same, which is kind of, which is kind of odd. Exactly. Sometimes when we just start off with that hundred milligrams, a woman will get their period immediately within, you know, you know, 
10 to 15 days, they'll like, oh, I started my period. And I'll say, okay, that's great. Go ahead and stop the progesterone because I usually have women stop the progesterone while they're on their period because we want that entire uterine lining to slough off and not have any hormones around trying to inhibit that. So I have to say, stop that progesterone, you know, for that five days of your period and then restart it. And if they get another period two weeks later, then we know for sure that that progesterone at hundred milligrams is too high. And then you back it down. Now at the same time, we're treating people as individuals, but we also want to do the blood work. So I also tend to keep an eye on those hormones. So I get a baseline of where their hormones are at before we start with treatment. And then after we've kind of got things moving, rocking and rolling, then we redo the blood work so we can compare it to see what's changed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, testing for a woman that's menstruating. Now, she doesn't have her period right now. Uh, with the hopes of getting it back, that'd be a, a fairly obvious success if it's able to return. Um, in this uh, context, the, the day she goes to the lab, it doesn't really matter. But normally with progesterone, you want someone to go in what, usually, what, day 20, day 21? Yeah, if you're cycling and, you know, not everybody's a perfect 28-day cycler, but usually I say, hey, anywhere between, you know, like day 18, 19 to day 25, that way we can catch that perfect spot when the progesterone is supposed to be the highest in your cycle. But like you said, if you're not getting a regular period every month, then you don't know where you are in your quote-unquote cycle. So then I just say, well, go ahead and just get your blood work done. I we can usually figure it out. It's pretty easy because we're not just doing the progesterone and the estrogen. We're going to do some stimulating hormones that are going to, like the follicle stimulating hormone, the luteinizing hormone will give us a little insight into if she is actually cycling or what we need to do to balance that out, looking at the testosterone and the DHEA, some of the thyroid and the adrenal function. So we would have a lot more to look at because it's not always perfect. And, and it's Murphy's law. Like I'll tell a patient, hey, go get your blood work done, you know, Ideally, if you can get around day 21, that'd be fantastic. And they go into the lab, they leave the lab, and all of a sudden they got their period. <laughs> and I'll say, that just happens all the time. Don't worry, I can figure it out. So you don't have to be so hardcore about it because it's really hard to plan for that. But ideally, if you could get it in what you would consider the luteal phase of your cycle, that would be great. Yeah, right. I know you've st told some other stories too, like women that haven't had a period for a while and they go on vacation and they uh, and they get their period right when they go on vacation. Like when they least expect it or least want it to happen, it shows up at the, you know, at an inopportune time. Or like um, in menopause, there's a little um, quote that's like, once you hit 12 months of no period, then you're quote unquote postmenopausal and they'll hit like 11 and a half months and get a period. It's yeah, there's all sorts of Murphy's laws out there. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, now, uh, let's talk about a couple of the other things, because uh, I know you mentioned thyroid. You said there's some other, uh, you know, certainly diet. Uh, insulin plays a role in PCOS. PCOS is, in some ways, an insulin-resistant type issue. Um, so intermittent fasting, uh, keto, uh, carb cycling, that kind of stuff needs to be kind of looked at a little bit. Uh, if you're having anyone that is dealing with PCOS, if you're having some food issues, uh, you know, that, uh, that needs to be, you know, part of this process, because the the medications, whether it's metformin, spironolactone, progesterone, those will do a good job, but they won't, you know, they won't, they won't fix the entire issue, the, the, the entire situation, especially, especially if you're trying to regulate a cycle uh, with the hopes of getting pregnant. PCOS is the number one reason for um, infertility. Um, that brings me back to the thyroid and how how we address thyroid in a context like this, um, because the thyroid can kind of reinitiate uh, that female cycle. 
Because typically with low thyroid, just low hypothyroid in general, it tends to cause cycles to be longer. So when someone's having a 35-day cycle, a 33-day cycle, and maybe it's a little heavier, you can say, oh, you know what, there might be something going on with that thyroid. And the thyroid is upstream from the female reproductive hormones. So instead of chasing your tail and saying, okay, I've got to you know, work on this estrogen and progesterone, you do want to step back a little bit, work on that thyroid function, because then it's just going to go downstream and help balance that estrogen and progesterone. So while you know somebody that's not having a period every month, maybe once a year, the progesterone would definitely be great. But like Dr. Mackey said is, hey, we'd look at that thyroid function, make sure that that's um, well. And then also, like Dr. Mackey had mentioned about the insulin, is insulin is, you know, one of the only fat storing hormones. And if somebody has PCOS, they're typically going to have more insulin, which is going to make it harder for them to lose weight. Cause they'll say, well, you know, I do everything I can. I exercise, I try to eat right, but I still have a really hard time losing weight. So it is kind of like he was saying is coming back and looking at lifestyle, you know, nutrition ways to reduce down your insulin burden. Yeah. And one thing that I've seen with some of the uh, PCOS patients that I've had over the years is that they all are one extremely disciplined. They try so hard to change their bodies, but in some ways they try too hard. Um, they push themselves physically and mentally a little bit too much. Uh, and I think that in those uh, particularly sensitive individuals, that by listening to what everybody says, eat less, exercise more, um, go on a diet and exercise your butt off. Um, for those ones that are uh, sensitive, it actually makes their situation worse. So now you see uh, the insulin rise. You see the uh, the DHEA and the testosterone can, continuing to go up. They don't actually get improvement. They actually get worse over time. Uh, so those need to be, um, you know, Go to yoga, go do some meditation, go for a walk in nature, go, you know, take some deep breathing. Um, don't try to exercise the situation away because it, you know, it really won't work. And all of that aggressive exercise is really going to exacerbate all of those, as you just referred to, what we talk about as those primary metabolic hormones, insulin, cortisol, thyroid, those three hormones dictate everything else downstream from that. Now, granted, we're not going to turn this into an endocrinology class, um, but, you know, like you're talking, the, the, the secondary sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, uh, even the DHA and the testosterone, those are downstream from those other primary, uh, you know, metabolic hormones. Uh, and it, you know, it just creates more and more dysfunction. So if you're dealing with PCOS, if you're having some of these issues, uh, you know, uh, Certainly having a, a good, it's not just about the estrogen or the, excuse me, the testosterone, the DHA. There's other things that need to be looked at. Uh, and now a proper plan can be put into place uh, that, you know, should be able to, uh, to achieve the result that you want, whatever that might be, just getting your cycle back or pregnancy or um, losing weight or, you know, whatever the, you know, maybe all the above, you know, that's often a goal of many of our patients. But just like, you know, Sarah's asking here is that definitely, with a PCOS case, we would do would use the progesterone capsules. I would find that the cream probably wouldn't have the effectiveness that we're looking for, even though a cream bypasses the digestion, it goes right into the bloodstream, and then, you know, it goes up very, very quickly. It just doesn't have the effect on those, you know, trying to regulate that cycle as well as I found the capsules do. Right, right, right. So uh, hopefully that wasn't too complicated, um, you know, for a simple dosing question. 
but we wanted to give a little context because PCOS, uh, PCOS is complicated and there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of hormones that are affected. Uh, and it's in every case, as we've uh, already stated, every case of PCOS is not exactly the same. Um, there's, you know, there's a, you know, plenty of shades of gray when it comes to PCOS. So therefore how you approach each one, how you approach the concealed type as we talked about it versus the classic It'd be quite a bit different. Uh, and how they get there, um, even though they have tendencies of the PCOS, the classic is pretty hard to miss. The concealed are the ones that's what we call the concealed because they get missed all the time. Uh, you know, so uh, hopefully that was insightful. Hopefully, uh, you know, something was uh, you know, able to take away some tidbits from there. Um, but no, more, than li- more than likely, the you know, progesterone capsule is the way to go. Somewhere between 7,500 you know, 125, maybe even up to 150. In some cases, we even go up to 200. Usually there's no reason to go really any higher than 200. But if you're trying to get a period, that might be too much for a situation like this. Exactly. And, and thank you, Sarah, for your email and for also, you know, reading our blogs. And thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. Uh, so until next time, uh, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.